Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 553. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm working for the weekend. Lorraine Sink, Summer Fridays only. Goodbye. (laughs) Technically, we did have a Summer Friday last week because we had Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. I headed some alpacas at an alpaca farm. How'd that go? It was so charming. I petted many alpacas. They don't really love it, spoiler alert, but they're very cute. They do like to eat out of your hand. It was precious. It was Mm. just nice. And I spent some time with my husband. I'm married to him, but I don't see him that much, even though he's in my house. I think it's funny that you say that. That really does kind of tie into something that we're going to get into with our guests who will be on later in the show. Because this week we've got Patton Oswalt and Meredith Salinger from the podcast, Did You Get My Text?, where they are a married couple and they text each other things and then discuss that stuff. So we're going to get into that later, but I fully understand that vibe that you're talking about, Lorraine. But it's also Pride Month. Yeah. And it's Marvel Studios Miss Marvel Month. Yeah. I'm so excited. The show is coming out on June 8th, which is next week. You can only watch it on Disney+. Plus. Get hyped. There are some wonderful new character posters. And also, I have to say, I know I'm biased because I love Sana Almanath, who was an original Woman of Marvel editor here at Marvel, who's now an executive producer on the series. But my favorite thing ever is that she's like a co-creator of this character, and she took a picture over on like the Santa Monica Highway or whatever in LA, where she's standing in front of an enormous Ms. Marvel poster, like the size of a building, and she's like beaming. Yeah. And my heart is so happy for the people that are going to watch this series and feel so seen. As I said, of course, you can watch Marvel Studios' Ms. Marvel only on Disney+, Plus, June 8th. That's Wednesday. That's in just a few days. You can count it on your fingers how many days that is. The number of people who will now be like, Ms. Marvel is my favorite character is going to be so incredible. Also, speaking of Ms. Marvel, there's an all-new Ms. Marvel one-shot Infinity comic that just debuted on Marvel Unlimited this week. If you don't know what Marvel Unlimited is, you should, because we talk about it every dang week. It is our amazing digital comic subscription service, over 29,000 comics, including many, many Infinity comics, which are these super cool scrolling vertical comics that you can only read on Marvel Unlimited in the format that they are presented. And so in this story, we see Kamala Khan and her friend Nakia visit a local museum to escape the summer heat. However, their day of sightseeing comes to an end when a jinn trapped in an ancient Mesopotamian exhibit is accidentally released. Can Ms. Marvel contain it before it escapes and wrecks havoc? I mean, probably. We would hope so. But you'll have to read and find out. This one is super fun. It's written by Samira Ahmed, art by Ramon Box. Now, we had Samira Mm -hmm. on the other show that I co-host here at Marvel. It's Marvel. Pull list. She was on our April 12th episode talking about some Ms. Marvel comics there. So check that out if you want more Ms. Marvel and more Samira. Samira is also like a very notable YA writer. So mm-hmm. it's going to be great. But you know what else was great? All of the Star Wars celebration was last weekend. There were so many cool things that we got to check out. I don't know about you, but one of the things that like gave me a real little giggle to myself was Ming-Na Wen's character in The Mandalorian. And the Book of Boba Fett is now a costume character at Disney Parks, apparently. Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand. And I was like, oh, my God, because I know what a nerd she is for this stuff. Talking with her so much about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. back in the day. So it brought me true joy. We love us. Yeah. So 
there was some comic book stuff that came out of there because we heard about phase two of Star Wars, the High Republic. The High Republic is a big, cool cross media storytelling thing where they're telling stories of this age before the fall of the Jedi. And so now they're going into phase two with Star Wars, the High Republic number one, launching in October by writer Kevin Scott and artist Ariel Anandito, as well as a four issue limited series, Star Wars, the High Republic, The Blade which launches in November, written by Charles Soule and art by Marco Castiello. Yes, that will be indeed super cool. But Ryan, there's also Star Wars Yoda coming, which is a 10-issue epic. It's going to take place during Yoda's self-imposed exile in Dagobah as he reflects on past adventures. And the century-spanning saga is going to be divided into three arcs by three separate creative teams. And he's just going to take place during key moments in his long legendary life you know he's a little weird green guy but he's been a little green weird guy for like many 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 years and lifetimes 900 years by the end of his life yes yes the first issue is going to also have Kevin scott who we mentioned before as well as nico leon and it's gonna start in october mm-hmm. so put it on your list yeah. All right. We mentioned Pride Month beginning this week because it's June and Marvel celebrating Pride Month with a new series. So just in time for Pride Month, Marvel's Voices is launching its first ongoing series on Marvel Unlimited. It's going to be a rotation of story arcs and one shots by huge, wide, amazing set of celebrated creators. And we're kicking things off with Marvel's Voices Iceman number one. And this was actually teased in the Infinity Comic Mighty Marvel Holiday Special Iceman's New Year's Resolutions from a couple months back and we are so blessed to have creator luciano vecchio returning to write and draw it we had luciano on marvel's pull list a while back he's just the sweetest just the best i love his fashion stuff i love his character work the way he draws faces and eyes and everything i love luciano so much wonderful wonderful creator and so the synopsis for this story is that bobby drake has had a big year and after helping terraform the entire planet of mars He's out to explore what his Omega potential truly means. It's going to be a four-part Infinity comic series, the first one right now on Marvel Unlimited. Hey, I guess this answers the question, is there water on Mars? Because Iceman's powers would be pointless if there wasn't any. So, yeah, great. We did it, y'all. Science. Oh, also speaking of Pride, there's a great Pride collection that you can check out on Marvel.com or Shop Disney has a great Pride collection. I know, Ryan, you got into ordering some stuff, but on Amazon, there's a really great Loki Pride shirt. It is so excellent. 10 out of 10. It's got like an outline of Loki in rainbow and it says Loki Pride. I don't know. It's great. There's a ton of great stuff. Get your merch now. Wear it to your Pride parades. Wear it in your living room. Wear it year-round. And on the game front this week, Marvel Contest of Champions added Wiccan and Hulkling to the contest, which was so perfect. What a great time. Oh, also on the game front, the critically acclaimed Marvel Spider-Man series, including Marvel Spider-Man Remastered and Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, is headed to PC, developed by Insomniac Games in collaboration with Marvel, and then optimized for PCs by Nixus Software. Marvel Spider-Man Remastered is going to launch on August 12th of 2022, while Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales will launch in fall of this year. We love to see it. You know what we also love to see? Podcasts. We see them <laughs> we with our ears. We don't see them. We listen. <laughs> we see them with our ears. What is happening? We take two days off and everything goes to pot. 
Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm here for this energy because over on Women of Marvel podcast, the hosts are talking about She-Hulk. Yeah. And they're talking with current writer Rainbow Rowell, a friend of ours, and just a true ding-dang delight, and Renee Witterstatter. She was a former editor of Marvel. And as you might know, because She-Hulk in the John Byrne days when she worked on the series used to break the fourth wall all the time and pull the editors into the comics. So if you had the good fortune to work on She-Hulk, chances are you were immortalized in its pages. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty cool. Over on Marvel's Pull List podcast this week, we have podcaster and writer and stats dude Walt Hickey on the show. Uh, he came on to talk about Hulkling and Wiccan Possibilities, which is a perfect read for Pride Month. It's an Infinity comic series, which also is getting adapted into print comics. But if you got Marvel Unlimited, go read it. Hulkling and Wiccan Possibilities is so much fun. It's so good. It's got romance. It's got drama. It's got Hulkling and Wiccan. What more could you ask for? And our picks this week for our favorite issues that were released are Captain Marvel 38, Black Panther number six, X-Men 92, House of XCII number two. And in Captain Marvel number 38, it mostly is focused on Binary, the sort of new character that's been in the books for a little while. And uh, she pets a bodega cat. <gasps> yeah. Can if you need another reason to read that comic, like which you shouldn't because it's Captain Marvel and it's really good, you have a character petting a bodega cat, which is great. Earlier this week, we saw some news about former editor-in-chief Joe Quesada and what's next for him. He's got some really cool things lined up, including a Marvel project that he teased. But like real talk, he is one of the greatest comic book storytellers of all time. And I say that not as hyperbole, whether it's a, as a writer, an artist, an editor. I've talked to him a bunch over the years, spent a lot of time with him in, in various ways. But mostly I've been able to observe how he thinks about and how he makes comics hearing him talk about comics in Marvel Comics creative retreats or to other creators or even at panels and stuff. And it's it's just incredible, his understanding and the way he can help people think about the stories that they want to tell. I can't wait to see what's next for Joe, but I wanted to toss out a few great books of his that everyone can go read on Marvel Unlimited if you are so inclined. Of course, top of that list has got to be Daredevil 1 through 11 and 13 and 14 from the 1998 run, which he kicked off with Kevin Smith and Jimmy Palmiotti. I go back to some of those issues every now and then, especially everybody, you know, over the last year has been talking about Echo and Maya Lopez. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff that Joe does in those early issues with the character of Echo is incredible. X-Factor 87, kind of one of my favorite issues of all time. And I think a lot of people, it's written by Peter David and art by Joe, where it's like the characters sit down with Doc Samson and just talk like a therapist session for each of the characters. And it's so beautiful and sad and wonderful and it's everything it's really a masterclass in comics daredevil father which joe wrote and drew nyx which introduced x23 aka wolverine aka laura kinney into the comics plus you got to think of his guiding hand from an editorial perspective on marvel knights mm -hmm. ultimate comics and as the editor-in-chief like everything during his tenure from you know the big 10 year plus swath of time at marvel that was just so dang good. And if you want to hear from Joe himself talk about that time, definitely go over and listen to his episode of Marvel's Declassified about Marvel Knights. The story is really fun and wild, and you can really hear how the industry changed under his expert hand. Oh, and a real quick personal request, my wife's book, Rebel Girls, by writer Elizabeth Keenan, is on sale this week until June 7th for like a buck 
99 $1.99 over on the Amazon. I posted about it on my social. If you want to get a copy of the book, it's great. I love it. It's also really fun for me to, to be able to say my wife wrote a book and it's cool. It's awesome. Uh, it's called Rebel Girls. Check it out. You can find it on my Twitter. All right. You know what else is pretty cool? Huh? Our guest this week. Um. <laughs> what was that sound? <laughs> I, I loved it, though. <laughs> it was great. We have on, as previously mentioned, Pat Oswalt and Meredith Salinger from the Did You Get My Text podcast. Of course, they're they're both actors and performers and, and creators in their own right, but they came on to talk about the podcast. Of course, we talked to Pat a ton about Marvel's MODOK. I did some big MODOK flexing while we were chatting and like showed him... You know the, the meme of the little cat looking back and it's got the Pokemon game in front of it? Let me show you my Pokemons. That was me. It was like, let me show you my Modocs. I have all these weird Modoc things. And it was a lot of fun. We talked about Marvel Studios Eternals and just their general fandoms. It was a lot of fun. Patton Oswald is in every corner of the Marvel Universe. And Meredith Salinger is a ding dang delight. So brilliant. So wonderful. And their podcast is so delightful, y'all. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So let's talk to them right now. Hello, Patton. Hello, Meredith. Hello, hello. Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading the new uh, issue five of Donny Kate's run on the Hulk. I didn't oh. hear you there for a second. Hey, what's this <laughs> podcast about again? <laughs> Uh, it's about Incredible Hulk number five by Donny Cates. Oh, wow. Well, then that's <laughs> perfect. What great timing. What is your Marvel origin story? What's the first way you interacted with the Marvel universe and the Marvel characters? I mean, if we're going to go all the way back, if I'm going to be really honest, it was watching The Electric Company and they had those little Spider-Man segments on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who, the, and then it was randomly in a drugstore and saw him drawn on the cover of what looked like a magazine to me and then begged my mom to get it. And then within that was all these other characters. And then it just, it was just in the pop culture air and I happily absorbed it. Yeah, I would see comic books when I was little and just think it was all super cool and was always just a huge fan of Spider-Man. And even more so now with the amazing Tom Holland as Spider-Man, it's like, my favorite, favorite version of Spider-Man, and I'm obsessed with the new movies. They're so good. I love him, and I love his little Queen's accent. Oh, he's the he's best adorable. accent. <laughs> of course, this is a Marvel podcast, but y'all do a podcast called Did You Get My Text? Can you tell our Marvel listeners what the show is and how it came to be? Well, basically, it's Meredith and I are a married couple who live in a house together, like most married couples, but also like most married couples, even though we're never that far apart. We just text each other all day. We're in the same house right now, but she's up in her office. I'm downstairs. And we just, half of our communication is through texting. So then we get together and we decode the text and it leads us down all kinds of little side alleys and rabbit holes. And it's really fun. You know how like during the day you'll text, but like you don't actually get into a long discussion about it. You'll just put like a right. heart or a thumbs up. We do that, but then the podcast allows us a chance to like actually get into a deeper conversation about what we text. And also- Pat and I met texting each other. We met through a mutual friend, oh, but it was all just like texting for three months straight, two hours That's every right. night. So it's sort of, we communicate best that way. We're much nicer to each other over text <laughs> than we are when we speak to each other. I love the podcast so much. I need to start one with my husband called, Did You Get My TikTok? <laughs> oh, are you on TikTok? I don't post. I just creep TikTok and then I just oh. send them to my husband and I'm like... 
See? Right. <laughs> so I need to check in. Yeah, totally. You guys have just covered such like a wide, crazy span of topics, sometimes from moment to moment, just wonderful leaps of conversation. Do you have favorite texts or topics that you've covered on the episode so far? Ooh, man. I think one of my favorites was I found some article online about unethical life hacks and whether it's ethical or not to actually do these. So it felt like you were listening to texts in real time because I would read off these unethical life hacks and then see like one of them was if ever you get a flat tire, take a picture of it. Then you can always have it for use in case you're going to be late to work. You can just send it to your boss and go, hey, I got a flat tire. And she's like, well, that's terrible. And then we would like argue about it. But it felt like I'm like reading her these things. I'm looking at it. And it just got very lively and went to some really interesting places. Love it. What about you, Meredith? I mean, honestly, we really do text each other all the time. He's recently on tour for his comedy show and just getting texts of like where he is or he'll be texting his drive. But like, that's just stuff between the two of us. But he'll sometimes come across the strangest things like, you know, he'll drive by like a weird 7-Eleven. What was it, baby? It was AMPM. We were driving by an AMPM and we discovered this thing. They have a mascot. I don't know if you're aware of this thing. It's called Tumgus. And it is like if Marvel's man thing were made out of snacks. It is the most disturbing it's creature so I've ever seen. I took a picture of it, sent it to her. Basically, we... it's like a drawing on the side of the oh AMPM. Hot dogs for lips and Twizzlers for hair and like nacho cheese. for It's so gross. It's horrifying. But he sends me some things and then I'm like, oh, got to delete that off my thread because I don't want to see that again. <laughs> I have to like, actually delete it. Also, you get to see how the danger of texting in that there's no context or inflection. So Meredith, for instance, loves a bargain. She loves to find something cheaper than it normally is. So I sent her what I thought was an interesting article about most people can't distinguish real jewelry from fake cheaper jewelry. And then she wrote back like, what are you saying? Like that I'm spending too much on like she no, it was like, completely took it the wrong way. Yeah. Like, no, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> it was more like, yeah, well, some people, but hell no, don't be sending me a cubic <laughs> Right, <zirconia>. right. <laughs> and that's not why I sent it. And then that led to a whole conversation about it. So. Bad news. Yeah, 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 yeah. Honey, your ring is fake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to direct all of our listeners to definitely Google A-M-P-M-T-O-O-M-G-I-S because I have and I love this thing now. I am very much a fan of Tungus. No, oh my God, don't. So oh gross. my God, it's it is a horrifying. Nightmare. And also, Tungus is an acronym. I think too much good is... or so Too much too, good stuff. Too much good stuff, Tungus. Is that right? Yes. This is cursed content. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh fantastic. I respect the way your conversations go, because it feels, I mean, you're a married couple, it feels like the conversations married couples have. There was a conversation recently you guys had, went from Gary Larson to Ishtar to Steve Gutenberg to the Insane Clown Posse and Juggalos. And then the respect you have yeah. for the Juggalos, I was like, oh man, he better not be talking bad about Juggalos. While well, I am not a Juggalo, the way that they treat their fans is exactly as you were talking about, Patton. It's like respectable exactly. and it's loving. Loving and kind and inclusive. I completely admitted that when I was younger and didn't know any better, I hated them. I thought they were stupid. And I it was about going along with the zeitgeist instead of actually looking into what's going on and then realizing, oh, wait, no, actually, the Insane Clown Posse is not only more punk rock than most bands, they're more attuned to their fans than most bands. Like, they are actually a force for good in the universe. 
I would say that that vibe of not knowing what you're talking about and saying you like something or don't like something would apply to the Marvel movies as well. Like there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't like superhero movies or I don't like this. But like, go see Spider-Man No Way Home and tell me that's not one of the greatest films ever. (laughs) It's so emotional and great. And like, you didn't even have to know. I didn't know some of those scary characters, like the bad guy characters, but you don't have to know all the characters to like really enjoy those movies. It was just so good. You know, you are folks who have gotten to be in the Marvel Universe, and in some ways the most in the Marvel Universe, films, television, animated series. You've also done some stuff for the Distinguished Competition, which does not count. But, you know, what is it like to be lifelong fans and then get to have such an indelible mark on the thing that you've grown up enjoying? Well, I mean, for me, I love the little side alleys and obscure pockets of the Marvel Universe. So the fact that I got to voice obscure characters like Modoc, <laughs> like Pip, Eric Koenig. Those are the kind of characters I like playing, the weird side characters. I got some love from Patton because he's such a nerd. And I've been so lucky as to be in three separate universes that he is obsessed with. <laughs> I have a big connection with Star Wars. I do the Clone Wars and Rebels, and I did Voices on the Force Awakens. And I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And I've done a movie with Mark Hamill and grew up with Carrie Fisher because her sister is one of my best friends. And and then I did Daredevil and Patton was so excited because that's part of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And then she was mad. Oh, and Madam Mask in Modoc. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool to have been part of. Someone said that once you have a character either in the DC universe or the Marvel universe, like you are stuck playing that character. You can't do anything else. And Patton has played three separate characters for Marvel. And it's incredible. I mean, Chris Evans was the human torch and then he got to be Captain America. So that doesn't work. Yeah. But I I will say you are beating him (laughs) for what it's worth. (laughs) Well, if if you're just talking about quantity, yes, I'm beating him for quantity. I don't think I'm beating him for quality. I mean, he's an amazing (laughs) Captain America. We got to talk about Modoc. Modoc is my favorite character. Wow. So much so that- Aggressively ha- so. I will cop to it. Yes, aggressively so. I remember years ago giving a tour of Marvel HQ in New York to Jordan Bloom, and he was telling me about the ideas and stuff like that. And and I was like, please come and see my Modocs. And I had them all laid out on my desk at the time. Wow. We became buddies. And so I served you a plate of food in the show they made the puppet of me with the mustache and the glasses i didn't get to voice it because of everything going on but i was so thankful to jordan for doing that he was sending me stills when y'all were in production so very happy about it you mentioned you you like these corners of the marvel universe and those alleys and like we see you know the bar with no name and stuff like that but like what about modok was fun for you playing him and and really like expanding his his lore and his personality well, before I even got to play Modoc, I just love the fact that sometimes some of these supposedly disposable characters are very reflective of the creator's moods and personalities. Modoc is so clearly Jack Kirby on a bad day where Stanley was like, we need a new villain. Think of something. And it was like 445 and he just wanted to go home. And he's like, fine. Just a, The drawing is like a temper tantrum. It's a giant face with little arms and legs, and he's just angry. And it's like Jack Kirby's bad mood. That's what MODOK is. So then we had a lot of fun thinking, well, what does that level, 
that level of rage can't be sustained. So what does it look like when that level breaks and he has to deal with other people and how badly is that? And then also we realize every other supervillain sacrifices family and friendships in order to rule the world. And MODOK is like, MODOK is better than everyone. He does not compromise. He gets to rule the world, <laughs> but also have a family and have kids that love him, which of course leads to complete disaster because he hates the fact that he's thought of as second tier behind Dr. Doom and Dormammu and the Green Goblin and everyone like that. That drives him nuts. My wife knows my love for the character and she enjoys it. But when we sat down and watched the series and she was like, oh, she like she was heartbroken because she saw the depths <laughs> that you brought the character to and all the things that you go through. And so I was like, yeah, we got another one. We're hooking them all into the MODOK verse. I had never even heard of MODOK until <laughs> Patton did the thing. And there's so many obscure little characters. Like, are they obscure and small to you? Or do you like the obscure ones that most people don't know? Or what do you, you're so into it, you know everything. Is it like special for you to know the obscure ones? You know how like people watch Rocky Horror and they know all the lines yeah. and like the stuff you yell mm -hmm. back? That is what the deep cuts are. I think, you know, Throg, Thor when he's a little frog <laughs> or, you know, or whomever else. Lorraine is, is totally right. And I think part of it is also Marvel's been such a part of our DNA for so long. And I've been reading, like I remember very clearly reading Punisher War Journal comics with Wolverine and Punisher trying to murder each other at seven years old and like, <laughs> like been reading these comics for so long and then finding the weirder characters, like seeing MODOK early on a guy like Pacepot Pete. And I was like, who Whoa. is this insane character who mm. he's a villain that comes around with a bucket of paste and he fights superheroes. And so like you do latch ourselves onto some of those characters as especially coming back to them as we have been working at Marvel 10, 15 years you got to love the the weird sides of things. They're just the best. Yeah. I remember this is a bit of a name drop, but I spent a New Year's Eve at Kirk Hammett's house one year in San Francisco. He's in Metallica. He collects comic books, but he doesn't collect the issues. He collects the actual pages. He finds the original pages and has this massive collection. And he has, I think he collected all of X-Men number one, the actual pages. And on the very first page, there's a panel of Professor X is saying something about this process is irreversible. And then in the margins, Jack Kirby has written irreversible four different ways to make sure that he's spelling it right. So when you see those little <laughs> moments, like a lot of times, again, about MODOK, the more obscure side characters are that artist or writer having a temper tantrum about whatever is going on in the world. Like Angar the Screamer, uh, who we put in the MODOK show, was basically... The Marvel guy's like, I don't like this Led Zeppelin band. So they made, basically it's Robert Plant as a supervillain. He's a heavy metal guy that can scream really loud and kill people. And that was just them going, what? Why can't people just listen to Frank Sinatra? Like I just love <laughs> that all that kind of came through in their work. There's been a lot of that uh, MODOK too. MODOK has taken on many faces of cranky folks through the years. Yes, he has. People would draw me as MODOK way before I even met Jordan. I have so much fan art where people just drew me as MODOK because I just have a MODOK-shaped face. So You look it, like MODOK. Yeah, it was just meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you also worked on the comic book MODOK Head Games with Jordan, which is so fun and so cool. And watching how little threads from the book 
in the show still find themselves now or continuing into the other comic books. How much fun was it for you to to get to put your stamp on an actual comic book about the character and in the Marvel Universe? The issue that Jerry Duggan just did of X-Men where they take on MODOK on the cruise ship and you see how he is using the vision of his family. That I mean, it's like, oh, I created a thing. I mean, it's not on the same level, but it must be how Alan Moore feels when he sees John Constantine. That's a little thing that's now out in the world doing his own thing. I love that. That's the highest reward for a writer when your creation takes on its own life and starts making its own decisions. You know, obviously, like, your stand-up, I'm a huge fan of your stuff. You're phenomenal. I got to watch you at Comic-Con a few years ago in the before times, which was just the coolest. Mm. But, you know, obviously, between writing stand-up and writing for television and writing comics, you know, what's the attraction of continuing to write comics? It's just a great way to flex your creative muscles. It's very much like screenwriting or TV writing. It's still visual, and it's still creative. And especially in the world of comics, once you establish a state of grace that has super science and magic, then you're really allowed to kind of bend reality and take human personalities to some extremes that you can't do in other areas. So, I mean, it's just, and also beyond all that intellectualizing I just did, I'm a little kid getting to write a story where Spider-Man does something cool and I'm the one who's telling him what he's doing. It's the best. I love it. But it is really cool just if you're a comic book writer, you're also a director because, you know, every scene you're setting up the shot. You're storyboarding the entire story. I mean, it's basically a manual to direct. And if you can write a comic book, I think you can direct. Yeah. It's very real. Well, a lot of great directors learned. I mean, James Cameron famously said he learned how to be a director by, he got that book, Learn to Draw the Marvel Way. And that's how he learned how to storyboard scenes. And that's how he draws out. He's, he's a good artist because he wow. learned how to draw Marvel comics. Meredith, I want to toss it back to you about the question of obscure characters and stuff. As you've been getting into more of these worlds, you're seeing stuff in MODOK or you're going to the movies and, and Patton's like, all right, so this guy did this and this is the sand guy and da, da 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 Are there some of these characters you're like, I like that one. What's that guy's deal? Well, I mean, I think not because of comic books, but clearly the personalities that are in the films, like, first of all, 100% obsessed with Tom Holland. think he's just the most adorable thing I've ever seen in my life. And Ned, who plays his best friend. I love him. Oh, and of course, Zendaya. But honey, who did Willem Dafoe play? He was the scary guy. Green Goblin. Amazing. That performance of Green Goblin was so incredible. I really liked that character. And I don't know if it's because the actors are so good that it makes you like the character they're playing, or if I just really thought that was a really interesting character. But I just really liked it. But no, I'm less on the obscure people and more on the main. <laughs> and I love Miles Morales. Yeah, that's a great oh, character. Love Miles Morales. Yeah. Love. And I love how he came to be. He came to be because Michael Bendis was so upset with how a lot of these fans were acting and reacting to the idea of a black Spider-Man. And he goes, I'm making a black Spider-Man then. And then he created one of the best characters in the Marvel Universe. Brilliant. Miles is so phenomenal. So phenomenal. And it's special. My daughter is black. And so I particularly love the fact that I have a Miles Morales that I can show her. She watches a Spider-Man yes. cartoon aimed for little kids right now with Peter Parker, Miles Morales, and Gwen Stacy. And like she talks about them 
constantly. Brian's family is very diverse. He wanted to bring that to his kids and in effect brought it to the world. And it means so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you guys have talked a lot about the films. You voiced Pip in the end of Marvel Mm -hmm. Studios Eternals. I won't ask you for any spoilers. I know better. But (laughs) what was your reaction like when you got that call and you found out that you were going to be in an end credit scene and that you got to know the end of the movie before everyone else? What was that experience like? I can tell you, I was so excited. I came upstairs. I was excited because I'm playing this really obscure character alongside another really obscure Mm -hmm. fan favorite, Star Fox. But also, I'm going to be directed by Chloe Zhao and I'm going to be wearing a mocap suit. Not only did I voice Pip, I kind of acted him. Like I I was in a little chair that wheeled along and I had to do the movements. And then they had to go in on a separate day with dots on my face. You have to say like, we fed the pigs raw corn. Like all these weird sentences that they used to catch all the phonemes, I guess. So I, I spent like an hour saying, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just really weird. So I was over the moon. I was so happy. Yeah, he's so excited about doing a scene with Star Fox. And I'm like, Harry Styles. <laughs> yeah. our daughter was very happy about equal that, celebrity so. yeah yeah we also wanted to ask Patton about your star wars filibuster you did on parks and recreation um which is a while ago at this point so in 2013 that was just after disney acquired lucasfilm you did this pitch for a marvel star wars epic kind of crossover how much of that was off the top of your head had you been thinking about this where did that come from and did you know you predicted everything I, no it, the whole <laughs> thing was off the top of my head all i was supposed to do was talk for like three seconds the joke was they would then cut away from me and like, oh, you were imagining him talking all this time. But then the people that hired me, I knew the writers and the directors, they were like, let's not say cut and see how long he goes. Let's just see what happens <laughs> as a goof. And I just, I was so panicked. I didn't want to say cut that I just did like a trivia dump panic response and just <laughs> emptied out the nerd vaults of everything and tried to connect everything. And it was crazy. And I've, I've had confirmation since that the way that I say that Boba Fett exits the Sarlacc pit, they shot it so that it matches how I say it. This gauntleted hand comes out of the sand, lands, and it starts on the twin suns. We pan down, and they just did that exact scene. So cool. Which feels pretty good. So cool. You should get a writing <laughs> credit. <laughs> I'm just here to inspire, man. That's what I'm here for, man. <laughs> well, you did. Yep. At least a special thanks. I'm still waiting for the Chewbacca spider robot. Oh. Um, <laughs> But you connected so many universes. You got Star Wars in there. You got Thanos in there. Uh, what about connecting the universe of like the journey of Natty Gan? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's Disney. And now that they've introduced the idea of the multiverse, which that's become the most popular thing, why can't Natty Gan show up with a little rat on her head? Uh, guiding her across the <laughs> Ratatouille. country. Put Ratatouille in there also. <laughs> Natatouille. Why not? Natatouille. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I would love to see that kind of stuff. Meredith, you mentioned some of the Star Wars work you did. Why are you such a Star Wars fan? Because like, I think we all are Star Wars fans, but I think everybody comes to it in different ways. You know, my wife has this like very specific thing of when she saw it and seeing Princess Leia. For me, it was playing with Ewok toys no. as a little kid. And I think for everybody, that's something that connects us back in the day. I mean, I remember standing in line in Westwood. I'm from Los Angeles. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a line around the block. Like I've never seen a line 
around the block of people waiting to get into a movie. That was like shocking to me. And and I just loved the movie. I thought it was so incredible. And I was so obsessed with C-3PO and R2-D2 and madly in love with Han Solo. And I just loved that movie so much. And then I guess just because it came into my life in so many different ways. You know, I saw all the movies, but then I worked with Mark Hamill and then worked for Dave Filoni and doing the Clone Wars for Dave Filoni. He's such an incredible fan of the work that he gave me all the backstory of my character, Beresoff. He gave me books from just the universe. And then I'm also really good friends with Seth Green, who does Robot Chicken. And he did spoofs of Star Wars, which were hilarious. When I started working on Clone Wars, I ended up watching all the movies together again in order, in the order they were released, not the order of the numbers, because that's weird. And, <laughs> and then I watched all of Robot Chicken Star Wars specials, got very nerdy, very super into it. I've been to the cons. I have my picture with all the stormtroopers and kids stormtroopers, and I'm kissing R2-D2 and c 3 Like, I have more pictures of me with the good guys and the bad guys from Star Wars than anyone. I just... I really do love the whole universe of it. And now all the TV parts, the Mandalorian yeah. and everything. Now, we will have to release you into the wild eventually. Okay. But I know that there's a, a fine film called Punisher Warzone. Mm. I'd love to know any hot takes. There's no hot take. <laughs> it is one of the greatest <laughs> movies of have... all time. It is. It really is. It's one of these made by a friend of mine named Lexi Alexander, and it was... It is the black sheep of the Marvel movie world. It's the one Marvel movie that Stan Lee does not do a cameo in. How can I say it? At the time the studio made it, they're like, we want a raw, for real Punisher movie. And Lexi was like, okay, I mean, if that's what you want. And she gave them exactly what they wanted. They were like, oh, dear God. And they just kind of dumped it out at Christmas time. And it, me and a bunch of my friends went and saw it and just... It was us and maybe two other people in this theater opening day. And it has slowly built this cult reputation. It's because it's a gorgeous looking film. I could go on and on, but that would be a whole other podcast. But yeah, it's absolutely one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's brilliant. Not for the kids. <laughs> and not for the kids. I don't know if any of you have this thing. When you're sick, there's a comfort thing. I go to Transformers the movie, the animated movie from 1986, and Punisher Warzone. Those are my, like, I'm sick. I need something that Wait, makes me feel Punisher better. Punisher Warzone I is a comfort yes, movie for you? I know. It's weird. Oh, but like, my God. I, I got really sick at he E3. He loves MODOK more than anything else. <laughs> I got really sick at wow. E3 a bunch of years ago, and I was just, like, in my room going through what I had in, like, my library that I could stream in my hotel room. I watched a bunch of Gamma and then it was Punisher Warzone. I was like, I feel okay now. I feel safe. Mm. <laughs> That's okay. I, I yeah, guess. I go for the Muppet movie or Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So oh, good. Oh, the Muppet movie is so good. Mm. <laughs> Meredith Patton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. big thank you once again to Patton Oswalt and Meredith Salinger. You can go subscribe to the Did You Get My Text podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I mean, just keep watching Marvel things. I'm sure Patton will pop up again. Yeah, it's like a word search. Eventually you'll find Patton Oswalt in there <laughs> just hidden. <laughs> yeah. But next week we're going to be 
keeping the Pride Party going for June. And we're going to have on Toby Donovan, who is an actor from the series Heartstopper that everyone has fallen in love with on Netflix, also previously a comic. I've watched it twice all the way through. It's so healing to my soul. I love it so much. And in the spirit of Pride, we would like to know for our question of the week, what Marvel character would you like to go to a Pride parade with? What Marvel character would be the best company? And for me, for my money, I feel like it's Bucky. Like, I would want to go to a Pride parade with Bucky just for the simple fact that I feel like he'd be kind of awkward, but he'd be so cute. We'd just have fun. And then if it got too crowded, he could, like, move everyone away from you. Yeah. I I will go with Hercules. Hercules (gasps) is just going to be having the best time. He's like all about parties no matter what, but also like he just puts his arms out and everyone will flock to him. They're just be like, can I, can you just hold me on his shoulder? Yeah. His big muscle. Oh, he's just going to be so much fun. He's going to be the life of the party. He's going to be so silly and such big energy. It's going to be delightful. You know who else would be great? Carolina Dean from runaways because she would just fly around and And, rainbow and she is a rainbow she's an actual Mm -hmm. rainbow that's the right answer Mm -hmm. ryan i would like to also put america chavez in there because you know she's just like the life of the party she's so fun she's good vibes only she's like making sure that everybody's having the best time and you're like let's go to this party and then she punches a star portal and you are at that party and then you're like let's go to this party and she punches a little star portal and takes you to that party it's like 10 out of 10 experience yeah also iceman it's June, you're warm, it's hot out, and he's just like, everybody's like fanning themselves, and he's just like, ice everywhere, cooling up drinks, you know, pranking people. It would be super fun. There's no wrong answers here. Just joy. And it doesn't have to be a queer character. No, it could be someone you want to just go to. The, yeah, exactly. Yours wasn't. It could just be a character you want to go to the parade with and have fun. Yeah. Now we want you to tweet your answers using hashtag this week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. Our question of the week last week though was who is your favorite deep cut Marvel character? Our first answer is from Jeff Forehand at Jeff Forehand, who said, When I first started reading comics, Gravity debuted, featuring a superhero about my age from the state I lived in with the powers I always wished I'd had. Loved him from the first panel, hoping he makes a comeback someday. So Gravity can manipulate gravitons. He can decrease his own gravity, which allows him to fly, decrease the gravity of objects around him, like so can kind of like act like super strength and uh, he can push and repel things. So it's it's kind of like telekinesis in a way, but a little bit different. Next up, we've got one from Django ATX at Django ATX, who said, my favorite deep cut character is the immortal weapon, Fat Cobra. He's been through so much in his life, striving to find his place as one of the immortal weapons and then became an agent of Wakanda a true beast of a man he has some like solid kingpin vibes but he's so like cool and happy and just like ready ready to fight and then like high five all right mel at labita ramel tweeted does red feather count i mean he never had his own comic book since he was just a supporting character for iron man and later another supporting character for wave but i think he would have probably been cool if only he had more appearances um that is exactly what we're talking about right there so great pick yeah next up we've got chris buckner at atomic buckner who said 
Sleepwalker, cool design and concept, having a hero that can only exist when his host's body is asleep and offers possibilities on two planes of existence. Mm-hmm. Emo Scott Pilgrim tweeted, I enjoy Forget-Me-Not, the mutant with the ability to instantly be forgotten as soon as you're not looking at him from the X-Men. And I also enjoy the Great Lakes Avengers, Doorman, Flatman, Mr. Immortal, and Big Bertha. Forget-Me-Not is such a great character currently appearing in Legion of X. It's such a heartbreaking power set especially because he has relationships and he remembers all the relationships, but then everybody forgets him. Breaks my heart just thinking about him. Next up, Marco Romo at Fleetwood Marco says, Captain UK, Linda McQuillan. She's a lot like early Rachel Summers from A Dark World, carries a lot of trauma, short hair, when she shows up in Jasper's Warp. And she's the one kind Captain Britain Corps member who defends Brian on trial. That is deep cut, Marco. That is a hell of a pick. Comic Foil at Comic Foil tweeted, is Modred the Mystic a deep cut? Interjection. Yes. He's been around since 1975's Marvel Chillers number one, a hero, a villain, an anti-hero. I mean, the guy's been all over the Marvel universe. Feels like it's time for him to shine and give us a series digging into the darker side of Marvel magic. Yeah, he's kind of gotten like overshadowed by Morgan Le Fay, but... Mordred. Yeah. Bring it back. Bring it back. Greg Patnett at Greg Patnett tweets, Chimera, Storm and T'Challa's kid from the timeline of the future Brotherhood. She stayed behind in the 616 for reasons and hasn't been heard from since. What's the deal with that, Panther? What's the deal with that, Panther? Orion at Orion7614 says, Blink, she's such an underrated character in the X-Men universe, and I like how she can focus her teleportation abilities into quivers. Blink is a great character. I think she does not get a ton of play, but she's actually, you know, she made it out into the, the wider universe of other media and stuff. So she's, she's out there. She's gotten a moment in the sun, but she could use more. Blink is so interesting because she, like, first appeared when Generation X kicked off and died immediately and then she could have like been like a really you know a real blink in comics history but age of apocalypse gave her such a spotlight and then we're going to get into this email from james marsh who says my favorite deep cut characters are blink and morph from the pages of age of apocalypse but fleshed out in the fantastic original exile series honorary mention to mimic from the same series it was wonderful to see characters that had only appeared in a couple of issues reimagined and revitalized by crazy multiverse hopping adventures holy moly if you have never read exiles the series kicked off in like 2000 it's one of the books that got me back into marvel when i was in college it's so good it's written by judd winnick who is just a tremendous tremendous writer and it's beautiful and it will break your damn heart I'm just going to tell you that right now. And Blink and Morph and Mimic and all the other characters in it are so good. Go read it and get your heart broke. An email from Heather G who says, Hello, Ryan Lorraine and the Twin Fam. My kids and I are huge fans of the deep cut characters. My son, Six, loves Chipmunk Hunk, who he was introduced to through Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2 during a Gwenpool mission. He was absolutely over the moon with how much time and attention Tomas got during the Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show. Yeah. That, wow, that makes me really happy. All right. Speaking of Gwenpool, 
who none of her crew would consider a deep cut, I won second place at a Marvel trivia costume contest dressed up as Gwenpool holding a plush shark with feet as Jeff. Oh, I had to explain to the host who I was and <laughs> and he laughed and he said, deep cut here. But I didn't think so when I got ready. Different levels of deep cut, I guess. During the latest issue of Marvel Meow, I spotted Aaron Fisher and Ariel Agbayani from United States of Captain America, hanging out with a mixture of champions and the Secret Warriors. I'm really excited to see where these two show up next. When Ariel gets accosted by a college frat bro looking to talk to her and other young women, and he tries to insult her by saying, you're no Steve Rogers, and her response is, nope, I've always been more of a Bucky girl, has lived in my head for years as I am also a Bucky girl, love seeing recognition of him within the US of Cap, and I can't can't wait to see where Ariel shows up next. Thanks for always starting my weekend off right. Heather. I love this email, Heather. You sent a picture in of you in the costume, which is terrific. We love that. That cosplay host, step it up, cosplay guy. You got to know who Gwenpool is and you got to know who Jeff the Landshark is. I mean, come on. Thank you for the email, Heather. That was tremendous. We'd love to see it. All right. We've got an email in here from Zachary Goldberg who emailed us saying, Dear Lorraine and Ryan, my favorite deep cut Marvel character is Fancy Dan because he is so fancy. According to Amazing Spider-Man number 10, quote, his footwork is so fast and dazzling that no one can lay a hand on him while he performs little odd jobs, end quote. My first thought when reading this was, how can such a little man be so dangerous? Well, Stanley is a mind reader because the very next panel reads, quote, if you are wondering how such a little man can be so dangerous... <laughs> You may be interested in knowing that Fancy Dan is a master of judo and entitled to wear the coveted black belt, end quote. It all makes so much sense. Shout out to Alyssa Wong, fellow Fancy Dan Stan, and long live Marvel's fanciest character with all love in my heart, Zachary, a.k.a. Zachary Goldberg, a.k.a. one of our producers who brought a lot of joy with this message. He literally emailed to twimpodcast at marvel.com. <laughs> As if he could not have just pasted it in I know. <laughs> to the document. Um, Zachary, that is the the right answer. Um, we were looking for a specific answer, and this is it. This is yep. the right answer. All right, let's bring in the band. Do, 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 do. <laughs> We've got an email in here from Eric Reimer, who says, Dear This Week in Marvel. With how profound and impactful Wanda Maximoff's story has developed in Marvel Studios' WandaVision and now Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, combined with Ms. Olsen's continued and increasingly extraordinary performances of the character, what do you all feel are the prospects for future appearances by Ms. Olsen's character? I personally hope Marvel Studios takes its time. It will undoubtedly be very complex, given the extraordinary complexity now of the character and all the possible paths to go and giving the character and her story do justice, but perhaps Marvel has that plan set already too. I hope she is, quote, redeemed. Sincerely, Eric Reimer. Uh, thank you for the email, Eric. We trimmed it down just a little bit for time and um, and, and some stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, the thing about this that I love is like how passionate you are for the character of Wanda Maximoff, aka Scarlet Witch, because that's the passion that the creators have and we have. And it's, you know, to see how she's connected with so many people is really, that's the most important thing here. 
Uh, next up, we've got an email from Kevin Helfman who said, hello, Ryan and Lorraine. Thank you so much for your guidance and consideration. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, he had asked us for some recommendations for a class he's teaching. And he continues, the death of Captain Marvel episode of Marvel's pull list blasted me with ideas. Shout out to Jasmine. Also, Lorraine and Evan, you crushed it on Marvel's Declassified. I can't wait to bring this into the curriculum. As for themes and ideas to explore, grief and loss are all too relevant to youth. Plus, they love heart-wrenching stories. Some other topics I think would be great to learn about are belonging and alienating, making difficult decisions, and motivation. I also think it would be a moon girl of a time <laughs> to look at love stories. On a very different note, adolescents really engage with characters that are relatable and that go through traumatic experiences. Hashtag Wanda Trauma. I am so humbled by your magic. I am so stoked on what the future holds. With care, Kevin. Also so relevant. Again, I think a lot of people do like fall in love with characters because they've been through so much and how they survive is so relevant to their experiences, you know? Kevin, to your points and some stuff that you're looking for, have you talked about House of M? Mm, yeah. If you're you know, talking about Wanda's arc in the comics and stuff like that, you can start with Avengers Disassembled and then go into House of M, but House of M really touching on a lot of that grief and loss and, and what's going on with her and then that kind of trauma and going through those experiences and coming out the other side, which was a long-term story for her. You know what would be a really interesting one? It's a more recent one, but Mariko Tamaki wrote a She-Hulk run where mm -hmm. She-Hulk is sort of stuck in her gray form after going through a bunch of trauma. A lot of it is dealing with the fallout of trauma and trying to deal with the trauma of almost dying and of going through something that's really, really hard. And like, how do you deal with that as a person once you realize that you're vulnerable? So that might also be a really interesting story to explore for kids in their fields. Yeah. The Hulkling and Wiccan Infinity comic in terms of romance, that's a great one. It's really, really sweet. Vision, the Vision series by Tom King and Gabriel Hernandez Volta and crew, that is all trauma, all feelings. All the time. Oh my God, which is great. <laughs> also the Alias series, that mm. the, the Jessica Jones series that kicked off the Jessica Jones stories as we know them definitely would is great because, you know, she has a life as a superhero and it kind of picks up after that life as a superhero, being a superpowered person with a lot of trauma. The Wolverines, both Logan and Laura, the trauma of him becoming the character Wolverine in that Weapon X story and in an origin, like... That's a lot of it. And then Laura in All New Wolverine that uh, Tom Taylor wrote is, oh, yeah. is all about going through the trauma and, and healing and, you know, finding her identity and finding her place and being incredible. Like, I love those characters. Oh, and for belonging and alienating, I think mm -hmm. The Runaways is like a great... Oh, my gosh. I mean, one, it's great for teens, but also, you know, it's literally like when you are shoved out of your home and you don't belong anywhere, like how do you find your family and where do you belong in the world? Those are a couple of places to start. Hope that helps. <laughs> now that we have 50 <laughs> comic suggestions. <laughs> That's the way it goes. That is a perfect way to wrap this one. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Fancy Dan. Fans up your life with Dancy Fan. Fancy Dan. He's a Dan that's fancy. 
Get yours today, Fancy Dan. Fancy Dan's Dancy Fans. Fan yourself with Fancy Dan. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. What's the deal with that, Panther? <laughs>